Welcome to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA players, legends, and the top instructors in the game share their insights and playing lessons. Join Chris every Tuesday night as he talks with the greats of the game. Tonight's show is sponsored by the French Lick Resort, the PGA Tour Superstore, the Bobby Jones Apparel Company, Ben Hogan Golf, Two Under, Taylor Made Golf, and Golf Pride. Now, here's your host, Chris Mascaro. Good evening, folks, and welcome to Next on the Tee. It's a privilege to be back with you again tonight and being a part of your weekly golfing content. I want to start off the show by saying hello and thank you to one of our sponsors, the McLemore, which is a fantastic community resort and golf course just 35 minutes outside of Chattanooga, Tennessee on Lookout Mountain. And folks, I know I say this every week, but you've got to see this place to believe it. Go look it up online at themaclemore.com. Everything about what they have up there is beautiful. Golf course is co-designed by our friends Bill Bergen and Reese Jones. Our friend Kip Henley said, outside of Pebble Beach, it's the most beautiful 18th hole he's ever seen. See why he says that by checking out the course and the resort online at themaclemore.com. Okay, on to tonight. My first guest is going to be our resident director of instruction, Tom Patry. Tonight, I'm going to get TP's thoughts on what we saw this past weekend at the Northern Trust, particularly what we saw from Dustin Johnson. We're also going to talk about getting over the mental hurdle of breaking, whether it's 100, 90, 80, whatever it is, for the first time. Also want to get some putting tips from TP, plus how to hit it close with our scoring irons. Tom's going to join me here in just a few minutes. Following him, I'm going to get a visit from Michael Breed. You know Michael is one of the top instructors in the game, plus from his show, A New Breed of Golf, over on SiriusXM. We're going to go back to Michael's college days at Randolph-Macon College in Virginia, where he played golf, tennis, baseball, and football for a minute. And I bet you there's something you didn't know about Michael. He once pitched in back-to-back games, right-handed, and then left-handed. I can't wait to hear that story. Michael was an assistant pro at Augusta National early in his career. We're going to talk about that. Plus, get some thoughts on the rest of the PGA Tour playoffs and a whole lot more when he joins me about 25 minutes from now. Then we'll round down tonight's show with a visit from former PGA Tour pro and broadcaster Charlie Reimer. And as he talked about in the video promo that he did about tonight's appearance, he's packing some heat tonight because he's bringing Dwayne Horton with him. Dwayne is the president of the development company that built the McLemore Club. So we'll hear about the history of the land and about the course that they built there. Plus, Charlie's insights from what it was like when he went out there and played the course. And I got a little jab for Charlie from John Cook. John joined me last week. John wanted me to pass along a little something for Charlie. So looking forward to that and having both of those guys as part of the show. They'll join me about 45 minutes from now. So there you have it, folks. More great stories, tips, and information coming your way tonight on this edition of Next on the T. And as always, thank you so much for tuning in and taking the journey with me tonight. You know, I always like to start off the show by saying hello to my good friends, Mitch and Matthew Lawrence, and reminding you about their great golf shows. Mitch's podcast is called Talking Golf Getaways. He and his co-host, Darren Bunch, they let you know about the great places that you can go stay and play around the U.S. and Canada. They also let you know about courses that you might not have heard of yet, but are fantastic as well. You can stream their podcast over on GolfTripX.com. It's also available on Audio Boom, Stitcher, and Player.fm. 
So if you love golf and travel, their show needs to be a must-listen on your list of podcasts. It's outstanding, and they're both fantastic guys. Matthew's show is called Backspin Golf. It's my regular Sunday morning, 8.03 a.m. Eastern Tea Time. I never miss an episode because Matthew's fantastic, and so are his guests. Our friend Perry French is always in the leadoff spot of that show every week, so you know there's going to be a lot of great tips and information coming your way at the top. You can stream the show live by going online to WLXG.com or by downloading the WLXG app. Tune in. I'm telling you, you're going to love the show. And folks, this segment of our show is sponsored by TaylorMade TP5 and TP5X golf balls played by Ricky Fowler, John Rahm, Rory McIlroy, Dustin Johnson, and Jason Day. It's the hottest tour ball in golf. Now, I know you know those names, but thousands of other golfers have already made the switch to TP5 and TP5X. And now they're available in high visibility yellow. Are you next to make the switch? Check it out online by going to TaylorMade.com for more information. All right, now here to kick off the show is our resident director of instruction, Tom Patry. You can visit TP and improve your game this winter at his indoor facility, which has all the latest gadgets and technology down in his home in Naples, Florida. TP is teaching this summer somewhere in a continual loop, it seems like, from Carmel, Indiana, all the way to the east end of Long Island and back. So if you're on one of the major highways along that route and you see a white Chevy Silverado, beep your horn. Flag Tom down and get him to pull over at the nearest rest stop. Tom can help you improve your golf game right there. If that's too much trouble, you can download the V1 video app and send him videos of your golf swing. He'll respond to you with all kinds of great content, help you get your swing on track. Or you can send him a question on his website, tompatry.com. You can also subscribe to his newsletter while you're on his website. Tom is also a member of the Titleist Leadership Advisory Board. Has his own show now on Thursday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Time on Instagram Live with some really wonderful guests, plus some guy he's going to give a mulligan to later in September. Really excited to have Tom as part of the show, as always. Hey, TP, how are you, my friend? Chrissy boy! <laughs> Tommy boy! How are you? I'm doing good, man. How you I'm doing? good. I'm good. Where are you? As as always, I feel like the first thing we've got to figure out is where's Waldo. Like where whose yeah. house have you invaded this week? <laughs> I'm in uh, I'm in Greenwich, Connecticut, living the big life this week, Chris. Uh, I decided to play Westchester Country Club today. So I visited my old haunt. Wow. Um really you know, it's great it's always great going back there. It's such a great golf course, great just a great club and uh, a lot of great memories. It all started there, man. It was all start. So it's always fun going back there and I'm I'm actually staying with two members of Westchester who are dear friends of mine, and actually, PJ, my son PJ's godparents, Peter or Nadlock. So, I'm in I'm in good stead this week. I'm I'm living large right now. Ah, good for you, as you deserve to be. Well, I don't know about so, that. But... <laughs> TP, I, I want to start by getting your thoughts on what we saw from Dustin Johnson over the weekend at the Northern Trust Tournament. I mean, thirty under par, TP, lapped the field by eleven strokes. What do you think? Well, Chris, first of all, if anybody out there has ever been or not been to TPC Boston, that that's not a an easy golf course. I've been on the facility, and it's <laughs> I, I I don't know how you get thirty under there myself. But you know, I'm obviously not Dustin Johnson. I don't have that talent. But it was an amazing performance. One of the things I think you have to realize when somebody gets to thirty under in seventy two holes is how many putts did he hole over four days to get thirty under? I mean. I know he made, I think he made six or eight eagles. Um, so they could potentially, you know, you know, be 
driving a par four and not going in or not going on a par five and two and making one a hole out something. But think about the number of putts you hold over four days to get to 30 under. I know that ball striking is amazing and the 30 under in itself is amazing. Certainly winning a PGA tour field, an elite field by 11 shots is unbelievable. But I, I just, I'd like to know the statistics on how many one putts he had over 72 holes. It had to be just off the charts, something crazy. So, Tom, I got. I want to get your thoughts also on just sort of DJ's career. Now, here's a guy that's won 22 times. He's won at least once in each of the last 13 seasons. But you'll hear people talk about only one major. He's won 22 times, but only one major. Is that fair? Is, should it be only one major? Should Should there be an expectation that a guy of of his talent should have won more majors by now? I mean, what do you think of that? Well, I mean, certainly he's been in a position to win more than one a number of times. Uh, sometimes got beat by a player playing current, sometimes, sometimes beat himself by spitting the bit. But, um, you know, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't call it a career yet. I think this guy's got a lot of golf in front of him. He's still young. He's healthy. He's very strong. He's very, very long. He's very powerful. He's obviously incredibly talented. And, and just the fact he's won 22 times on the PGA Tour against PGA Tour fields, uh, you got to believe there's more in the tank. So I, I, I would, you know, they're they're pretty critical of him. It's pretty, it's pretty easy to criticize somebody sitting home in your your armchair and watching on TV. Um, and I, it's not that I'm the biggest DJ fan in the world because I'm not, but I, I got to think of that when he's around Augusta National one year. He, he has his turn, um, and, and I think he's got a lot of good golf in front of him. So I'm not so I'm not so quick to criticize yet. The, the outcome of the record and the major record yet. I think that, uh, you know, I think uh, it's interesting that a couple of weeks ago, Brooks, Brooks took a little shot at him, and two weeks later, he shoots 30 under. I think he, I think he should let sleeping dogs lie. Um, <laughs> he, he, don't, don't be surprised about Augusta in November. Uh, don't be surprised about the U.S. Open of Wings here. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't write his, write his major record off yet. And Tom, you mentioned the phrase "fit the bit," and, and I think that's something that a lot of us do when we're trying to to reach a goal. I, I want to get your thoughts on, on the mental side of the game for whether it's we're trying to break a hundred for the first time, ninety, eighty, whatever it is. How do we get through sort of that mental barrier? Because I think a lot of us get ahead of ourselves, and we'll we'll be coming up to the last hole and go, "Gee, if I." All I got to do is par this last hole, or just all I got to do is bogey this last hole, and I can, you know, break whatever it is. And the next thing you know, we double or triple it. How do we get over yeah. that mental hurdle? I'll tell you, it's a funny thing because I remember my freshman year in college, I had shot seventy, seven zero probably. I'm going to guess fifteen or twenty times in my life, and I shot seventy by birdieing the last hole. I shot seventy by double bogeying the last hole. Uh, you know, I, I, I. I Shot 70, feeling good coming down the stretch. I, I shot 70, throwing up on myself coming down the stretch. And then, you know, I got to college my freshman year on a really good team, and, and everybody was breaking 70 and qualifying, and I was shooting 70 as a good score. And it was really frustrating for a while. And then one day I went out, and, and, and I can't tell you what happened or how it happened, but the first time I shot, I drove 70, I shot 64. And the day I shot wow. 64... The day I shot 64 on the first hole of the day, I made one of the worst bogeys you've ever seen in your life to start the round. 
and then something happened, and I, and I shot what I shot. So the thing that's really funny about that is not that I shot 64, because the thing that's really funny is that the next two or three weeks, I broke 70 about seven or eight times in the next two or three weeks. So the wall was down, the barrier was broken. And I think when you watch the average player, they go through these stretches where they improve a little bit, they get to a particular number, and they're at a wall. And psychologically, they can't, they can't break through the wall. And then one day when they least expect it, you know, things kind of click, and they go out there and they shoot a number that's not under their number or under their goal, but it's several under their goal. And they look back at that round. Like I looked back at that 64, and I really did look back at it this way and said, I didn't really do anything special today. You know, I, I hit a couple of good shots, and I hold a couple of putts, and I got a couple of good breaks, and all of a sudden I looked up and I had 64 on my part. But I didn't feel like something magical happened or I did something incredibly different than I'd been doing when I shot 70. So the mind is an incredible thing, and what we learn about the mind in all sports, as well as in life, we realize how small a part of the capacity of the brain we actually use when we, we do anything in life. I don't care if you call it being in the zone or, you know, being focused or concentrating or seeing a shot, but I, I think there's something that you just kind of go through um, and, and you have to kind of let it come. To, I think you have to let the game come to you sometimes. And sometimes you have to try to make things happen. You know, you, you, you wind up throwing up on yourself. And I don't think, I don't, I, I try not to go to the first team anytime anymore with an expectation on the day. I try to go out and, and play it out, play the hit shots, you know. And, and I know the cliche is one shot at a time, and I don't, I don't really use that cliche for myself very much. I just try to go play golf and, and stay in my process and, and, and just hit the best shot I can in each situation. I think when you try to force it, I, I, I don't think it works out very well at all. Tom, I want to get a couple of playing lessons from you now. And, and um, you posted on Instagram that putting has the least amount of moving parts the smallest range of motion at the slowest rate of speed and no need to get the ball airborne, obviously. Why then can't the average player excel at this skill? And you say you have the answers. So what's the answer? Well, well I think there are a couple answers. Because I think, first of all, when I, when I get into a session with an average player about putting uh, and I ask them to show me their process or their pre-shot routine or their green reading routine, Sometimes I get a blank stare. Like, you know, well, I, you know, I don't really have an exact routine. So I think if you look at the greatest putters in the world, and, and, and maybe the greatest clutch putter in the world, maybe was Jack Nicholas, you know, and then certainly you have to talk about Crenshaw and you have to talk about Brad Faxon uh, in that conversation, maybe even Raymond Floyd in that conversation. If you really watch them and what they did leading up to hitting the putt, uh, and you can do this on YouTube very easily, they did the exact same thing leading up to striking the actual putt every time. The, the cadence they went through, the team they went through was identical. And, and, and nobody was more identical in their routine than Jack Nicklaus. Um, so you first have to establish a routine. And, and whatever that routine is, it's your routine. I don't care if it, you, know, you stand on your head and you stick your finger in your head and spin three times. You have to do that every single time. Um, Jack is all routine. Second thing is from the green reading standpoint, I think people look at the linear view as their only view, and I think that's the least uh, the least successful view. You have to go to the side of the putt to the low side uh, and, and, and establish the low side for more detail, almost like a tri triangulation. 
Uh, and you have to move around on the green. You have to observe what other players are doing on the green and where their ball's going and what's doing it's around the hole. Even when they hit chip and pitch shots, you have to gather information that lets your brain understand where this ball's moving on this particular green around the hole. You have to be observant. I think people playing social golf don't have a routine, don't really go through a green reading process. So right away, they're behind the eighth ball. And then they hit a putt that travels too fast or too slow because <clears throat> they don't realize it was uphill or downhill or it breaks off. And they go, I didn't see that break. Well, of course you didn't see the break because you never looked for the break. So those skills have to be established. And then from a practice standpoint, oh, yeah, the, remember that thing that's called practice that either. So, I, you know, I say to people all the time, you have to be physically strong to putt well. No, you have to be fast to putt well. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound, absolutely not to putt well. So if none of those things are true, and you have to be an incredible athlete to putt well, what's the number one reason why Chris Mascaro doesn't putt as well as Tiger Woods? Well, the number one reason is not a physical reason. The number one reason is Chris Mascaro hasn't hit one one-hundredth of the number of putts in his life practicing that Tiger Woods has hit. So there is a time requirement. It is, a feel, it is a feel skill that you have to do it a lot to develop a feel for distance. The speed is number one. I, I think line is important, but speed is number one. And you've got two great guests behind you, one great, great instructor in Mike Breed and one very, very fine player who played the sport at a very high level, Charlie Reimer. I think they would probably agree that speed is the thing that most amateurs at the club level don't, doesn't feel with very well in their skill development, just being able to land a ball 30 feet to a hole, you know, and that's just on a flat surface. Can you land a ball 10 in a row to 30 feet, not 30, 26 feet, 4 inches to 30 feet. And then you say, well, on the golf course, you're not going to have a 30-footer. How many flat touch do you have on any round of golf? None. So now you have a basic speed skill that you now have to translate and add to it a thing called contour, whether it's up and down, left and left, uphill or downhill. And, and nobody takes the time to develop a skill called speed control. So you throw those things together in your practice routine, and I say to people, you're going to do one really simple drill. I'm going to take three balls, two balls 30 feet apart. You put three balls to the hole, you put it out. Turn around, you put three balls back to the hole you came from, you put them out, put three balls back to the hole. That's nine holes, nine thirty footers back and forth. And you have to put out. If you can go nine holes in a row without a three putt, you can leave the green. If you three putt at any juncture, you have to start at zero again. Well, ninety nine percent of the golfing population will be on that green for the rest of their adult life. Because they've never <laughs> developed any they've never developed any speed control. I do those types of speed drills and and and, and goal driven drills with all my juniors, with all my college players, certainly with all my mini tour players, professionals, and, and, and different levels and different degrees of difficulty. But you have to be able to control the speed that the ball is traveling off the face. Tom, let's back off the green a little bit. Let's talk about hitting the ball close with our scoring irons, right? Eight iron, nine iron, pitching wedge. If we're in the fairway, you know, we're going we're gonna to have to hit a full shot with, with whatever one of those clubs we have. Talk me through from setup to the golf ball, you know, where, where, where the golf ball should be in our stance. How far apart are our feet? Are our hands ahead of the ball? Are they in line with the ball? 
How do we set up and hit that shot well? Well, I'm going to go back to something you just said. You said full shot. And I, I, tell, I tell all my players that are competitive players that, my, by the way, Chris, my scoring irons are seven irons to Elway, not eight irons. So I consider seven iron a scoring club, too. I consider seven iron, I don't consider seven iron a mid iron. I consider it a short iron. So we've heard, we've heard on CBS and Sunday afternoon, we've heard plenty of things like uh, Rick Cowher's got a uh, knockdown eight iron. Down, rip down nine irons, a three-quarter wedge, or we've heard all those kind of terms. So if you and I went to a bar tonight in Atlanta and you, and you were buying, and I hope you were buying, and we, we decided God, we're going to no. play darts. Yeah, exactly. Red Sox fan, it's not going to happen. I understand. If we were going <laughs> to play darts, if we are going to play darts in the bar, we'd stand behind a black line about 10 feet away from the dartboard, we'd make this very, very short, crisp, precise motion and throw the dart, trying to hit the bullseye, for example. If I asked you to throw a dart at the same board from 10 feet, I told you to wind up as far as you could back, like you're, like you're throwing the hardest fastball in the world, and, and swing that thing. So when I'm hitting short irons, generally, if seven iron on a driving range, a full iron goes 165, which is about how it goes. On a golf course, it's about a 155 or 152 club. My eight iron on a range is a 150 or 55 club. On the golf course, it's about a 145 club. There's always something in reserve in the tank. I've always, I've always choked it down a little. I'm making kind of a three-quarter to three-quarter motion with, with authority, but it, it's a compact motion. And I don't think people understand that scoring irons are called scoring irons because of so-called accuracy and precision. So I, I, all, I, I'll just repeat it. all I want you to do is play those scoring irons in a more controlled manner, more grip down the club in three quarter to three quarter, and, and take a look off it and something be more precise. And Tom, talk, let's talk grip. Do you use the same grip on every shot, or do you do you move it more neutral or stronger or weaker depending on the type of shot you're trying to hit? I was very fortunate during my West 50 years to spend a lot of time with Sylvia Ballesteros, as you know, and he hit all his short shots. You know, maybe up to 30-yard pitch shots with a much weaker or much more neutral grip. You know, left hand dialed more to the left, the right hand dialed more to the left. Uh, he wanted that that face to be very neutral to the hitting area with very, very release, very little release. So I hit a lot of my bunker shots and a lot of my pitch shots and a lot of my green side chip shots with a much more neutral grip than I do on my full swing shot. So let's talk about that. And moving and moving your grip one way or the other, what does that allow us to do? Well, when my grip gets more neutral, when my left hand gets more neutral in the club, and my right hand gets more neutral, and some of you might might be consider getting a weaker position. I, I have what much less club face rotation through the hitting area. Club face is more neutral through the hitting area. Um, I strengthen my grip. I want to hit a, a little bit more active in the hitting area and gets a little a little more toe pass in the heel, if you will. And I get put a little less than I could if my grip was weaker. So I want me on those on those green side shots and those short back, very accurate shots that I want to hit for that face to be very quiet through the through the hitting area, through the impact area. I don't want a lot of face rotation. I don't want the toe to turn down and be off the club very much necessarily. You know, I want that face really, really neutral going through the impact zone. Tom, just a couple more before I let you go. And um, kind of just want to get your thought as we look ahead to the rest of the PGA Tour season. I mean, we're, we're winding down. We've got a couple of events now in the playoffs left. 
we look ahead to the U.S. Open and then to uh, what's going to be, I feel like, a very strange Masters with no patrons and a very different time of the year uh, for that golf course. So when you look ahead, what are you looking forward to seeing? Are you looking forward to a U.S. Open that par becomes the good, you know, the best score? I mean, we know the USGA is al- always tough when they're put together a U.S. Open golf course. Talk about what you're looking for in a U.S. Open and then uh, what you're anticipating seeing at Augusta National at the Masters. Well, you know, Joseph asked that same question to Mike Breed. We both had a lot of uh, a lot of experience in the Mets section. We both we spent most of our career in the Mets section. We're familiar with all the great golf courses in the Mets section. Certainly, Wingfoot is right at the top of that list, along with Chinatoka, Page Black, places like that. So I've, I've probably played Wingfoot uh, 30 times in my life. And under normal conditions, it's not a deep I understand from talking to guys local today when I was at Westchester that the rough is not happening, so I think part of it will be a hell of a score around Wingfoot. Now, I know these guys hit the ball a mile, and they hit it relatively scared how far they hit it. Even hitting it with, you know, driving counters mentality, only put iron in your hand with these kind of conditions in the rough, they will not be able to control the golf ball very much. If you get the golf ball on the wrong side of the hole with Wingfoot on the putting surfaces, you might spend the rest of your life out there putting the golf ball. So uh, I think you have to put the ball in play. Cannot miss fairways, uh, and you've got to keep the ball below the hole, put the surface, and put up with the hole. And, and if you don't do those two things, you're, you're going to be leaving on Friday. Um, so that's that's my for take. It's going to be hard. Par is going to be a great score there. Masters without the whole thing is a Masters without spectators, and the Masters in November is weird enough. Playing Masters and not hear a roar in the corner. Play the Masters without spectators play the Masters in the month of November when we haven't seen the golf course and how it's really going to play in the month of November and what the weather's going to be like in the month of November um, is going to be really interesting in terms of conditions, not so interesting in terms of no roar, no excitement. So I don't know what to expect with Augusta. And, and you know, Mike, Michael Braid will speak much better to that than I will, having worked there. And I'm sure he's been on the property in November, so he's probably got a real good take on how that golf course is going to look and feel in the month of November. I'm sure he's been on the cross. I would, I would suspect he's been here in November at some juncture in his life. Uh, and I've never been anywhere near the place in November. So I think weather and, and, and the conditions of the golf course in that month are going to play a big, you know, a big role in what that place is going to be like. I just can't, I can't wrap my head around the Masters or the Ryder Cup or any major for that fat matter, you know, you know, with with no people on the property, I just don't. I just don't. It doesn't really doesn't register with me at all. Well, TP, before I let you go, remind our listeners about uh, the work you're doing now with the Dormy Network and how they can follow you on your website and over social media as yeah, well. Thanks, thanks, Chris. I'm, I'm the Dormy Ambassador, and if you, if you don't know much about the Dormy Network, it's a collection of six great destination clubs that you can join uh, for one fee. And if you don't know about it. Definitely check it out on their website, dormynetwork.com. I am back on, on the road to Hidden Creek next week. One of their facilities in Egg Harbor Township, New Jersey, just out of Atlantic City, which is fantastic. Court Crenshaw. Check them all out online. Um, then, of course, the website, tompatry.com. The LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, you know, all the, Facebook, all, all those obvious places. Um, and then I should have, Chris, a really exciting announcement about a new location possibly 
in Southwest Florida by the next time I speak to you. And I'm really hoping I have it by then so I can announce it on your show. Um, and then you're coming back on my Instagram live show because last time you screwed me by having a bad tonight, so we're even. So we're, so, so we're even. So we're even now. Wow. So hopefully, hopefully you won't be up in the, in the woods of uh, North Georgia somewhere with the, with the black bears. Give you somewhere where they can actually get you and talk to you, so I can roast you live. All these and all these listeners then can actually see how handsome you are on screen, and we can, you know, we can get, get you a movie contract or something. Listen, do fantastic and, and I'm so proud and happy to be your friend and be a part of this show on a regular basis but please say hi to Charlie and certainly give my my, my best to Mike Reed who I both guys have a lot of respect for what they do and what they do for the, the gospel and to give them my best I will absolutely do that right after I get the uh, truck off of, off of me that you keep running over and backing <laughs> over me on, on a semi-regular basis but that's okay I'm fine. I'll be all right. I'm a big boy. You're a big boy. DP, you're the best. I love you, my friend. Be careful out there. We'll catch up in a couple of weeks. Thanks, Chris. Peace. See you, Tom. That's a great Tom Patry. TomPatry.com. P-A-T-R-I is, uh, is the website. And, uh, you know, you guys know how much I dig TP. He's, he's absolutely fantastic. And, and his lessons, like I say, download the V1 app because, you know, Tom is doing that loop from Carmel, Indiana, all the way out to Long Island and back. Uh, hopefully that comes to an end uh, here pretty soon and he can be stable back down in his, his home in Naples, Florida. So we have one central place where you can find TP. But uh, if you need some help outside of looking for that white Silverado along those highways and flagging him down, go go download the V1 app, send him his video. He'll, uh, he'll be able to get you going. All right, before I get to my next guest, Michael Breed, I want to give a shout out to a couple of our sponsors. First, our friends over at the Ben Hogan Golf Company. When Ben Hogan founded his company in 1953, his mission was to make the finest golf equipment in the world, and that remains their mission today. They forge every club they make to provide the feel and feedback investment clubs simply can't provide. And their craftsmen micromanufacture each club to your exacting specifications in their Fort Worth, Texas factory. You'll only find Ben Hogan Golf Equipment online at BenHoganGolf.com. Visit them there today to learn about their great products and their great prices. Also want to give a shout out to our friends over at Golf Pride. In golf, light grip pressure releases power. Golf Pride engineered a secret the pros know. A larger lower hand encourages lighter pressure. Plus four technology is designed with four additional layers, which reduces tension in the lower hand to generate more power. Play plus four and release the secret the pros know. Now available on Tour Velvet, the winningest grip on Tour. Grip confidence, grip Golf Pride. And folks, this segment of the show is sponsored by our friends at the PGA Tour Superstore. This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at PGATourSuperstore.com. Now back to Chris and more of the show. All right, now joining me here on Next on the Tee is one of the top instructors in the game and the host of one of the best golf shows anywhere, A New Breed of Golf, and that's Michael Breed. Let me give you some background on Michael. He's from Greenwich, Connecticut, played his college golf at Randolph-Macon College in Ashland, Virginia from 1981 to 1985. He was a four-year letterman and was their number one player for three years and team captain his senior year. He won six times during his college career. Michael also played on the baseball team. And like I said at the top of the show, he once pitched back-to-back games, one right-handed and one left-handed. 
He also played on the varsity tennis team and had a minute over on the football team. Michael was inducted into their Athletics Hall of Fame in 2004, went on to play on the Corn Ferry Tour and the PGA Tour. Since that time, Michael has soared up the rankings as a golf instructor. In 2003, he was named one of the top 100 instructors in America by Golf Magazine, and he's climbed up that list every year. In 2012, Golf Digest named him one of the top 50 instructors in America, and that year he was chosen as the PGA's National Teacher of the Year. Among his other awards, he was named the Metropolitan Teacher of the Year in 2000 and 2009. He was the Metropolitan Horton Smith Award winner in 2006 and 2007 for being a model for golf education. We've been watching and listening to Michael help us improve our swing since he joined the Golf Channel in 1999. In 2002, he put the pilot together for a new breed of golf. Took a minute, but in 2008, that pilot turned into the golf fix and made its way onto the air on Monday nights. I listen to he and his co-host Greg Ducharme every morning on their show, A New Breed of Golf, on Sirius XM's Channel 92. And I'm thrilled Michael is with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Michael, thanks for coming on the show. Chris, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm excited to be here and, and uh, looking forward to our time together. So, Michael, I, I got to start by hearing the story. In college, you pitch back-to-back games. One right-handed, one left-handed. Talk about that. No, 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 no. Now, now, listen. This is what happens. So, by the way, great job on your research. You got a lot. Of, I, there's some stuff in there I'd forgotten about. No, when I was younger, I was a baseball player. That's when I uh, lefty and righty. I, I'm, I'm completely ambidextrous. But when I was in college, I actually played on. In the fall of my freshman year, I played. Uh, four varsity baseball games starting at shortstop, played three varsity golf matches and three varsity tennis matches. Now, it's Division three, but that is something that I'm a little proud of. There's a lot of people that have played a lot of sports at high levels, but I don't know if anybody has played three varsity sports at the collegiate level in one, in one fall semester. It was, it was tremendous. No doubt. So, I understand, though, there's a little family controversy going back to your freshman year in baseball. Your brother, Giff, was actually umpiring first base for one of your games, I read, and you hit a little slow <laughs> roller, and there's a bang-bang play at first base. What happened? Well, see, now, this is this is what happened. So he went to the University of Richmond, and Randolph Macon was playing Richmond, which we beat them, by the way. I don't know whether he shared that one with you or not. We We, we beat them. And uh, on this particular play, I threw the ball. He was the the runner was out, but somehow, gift gave it the safe call. And I I literally I, I don't know that I've I've ever recovered from that. That was probably <laughs> uh, maybe thirty years ago. <laughs> uh, so Michael, was the funny. dream to 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 get into golf, or was the dream to play shortstop for the New York Mets? You know. So I, I got a chance in 1994 to try out uh, with the Mets when they had the strike year. And look, the dream the dream was to be a professional baseball player and a professional athlete. That's what I wanted to do. Basketball and football were quickly discarded as not having an opportunity to uh, to do that for a whole bunch of reasons. But baseball and, and golf seemed to be things that that um, I, I kind of gravitated to. And once once uh, the baseball stuff kind of went the way it went. 
I, I immediately um, got into really, really immersed myself in the game and got pretty good pretty quickly uh, through, a, through a lot of work. And then, you know, good fortune has it. Um, it turned out to be a, an amazing sort of path that I've been on for uh, these however many years. I don't even know how many years it is now, but probably 30 some odd years. It's been just amazing. So, Michael, talk about your coach. Ted Keller, he was your coach at Randolph-Macon College. Talk about the impact and the influence he's had on you, not only as a player, but as a person. You know, Chris, I appreciate you bringing that up. It, not just his, not just Ted, but also his wife, Kathy. Um, they were really instrumental in, in a lot of different things. Two incredibly giving, compassionate people who um they they continued to uh ask me to to better myself is the easiest way to say it and um look without without ted i i'm sure i wouldn't be where i am and there were a lot of times uh he had time for me and had had um direction for me and look randolph macon as a whole not just the kellers but randolph macon as a whole hal nunley and uh, a whole host of of individuals at that school were incredibly uh, instrumental in giving me the confidence and the ability to pursue the things that I have been able to pursue. And I am so grateful for for that that school. I can't even tell you, but I'm particularly grateful to Ted Keller, who's no longer with us, and Kathy Keller, who is with us, and. And uh, they are they are two they were and are two very special people. Michael, I want to switch gears a little bit, and and your positive attitude and demeanor, whether it was on the golf fix or on your on your current show, New Breed of Golf, that's what hooked me to you. Right when I when I listen to you and I watch you and and feel the the positive energy that you bring to whichever broadcast you're doing, that's what sort of grabbed me and pulled me in. Talk about where that comes from. You know, Chris, I, I, I know this for a fact. And, and while you and I have not spent a tremendous amount of time talking with one another, I certainly, uh, through Greg Ducharme and others, Tom Patry, um, people like that, I, I, I know well that you are an individual who um, looks in the mirror and can't believe the good fortune that you have to be able to do the things that you're doing in this game. And I have had that great fortune um, in my life. But I will tell you that um, having a positive attitude was was something that did not come easy. Um, and it was something that, that I worked on. And it was something that I now am so grateful for because like anything in this world, particularly during these times, you can look at anything from two different sides and have great support for either side that you, that you take. For me, what, what I decided, and particularly after my father passed away of Alzheimer's back in 2001, I, I sort of, in a time of reflection, um, was extremely grateful for having him as a father. There are, there are, a number of relationships that you choose in your life, and there are a few relationships that you don't. One of them is who your children are, how many you have, and 
and frankly, um, what those relationships are like, you, you kind of help to mold, but at the same time, you know, you don't choose who your kids are and you don't choose who your parents are. And I was really lucky. I happen to have two great parents. Um, again, one who's no longer with us and one who is, but when my father passed away, I, uh, what I kind of sort of decided was that if I had a choice of who my father was going to be, knowing that my father was going to die at the age of 21 from Alzheimer's. And when you die of Alzheimer's, you die before you die, right? My father, you know, although alive was not my father for an extended period of time because he didn't have any wits about him. But what I, what I decided was that I, I was really blessed and that if I had a choice to, and I, and I could choose my father all over again, I would have knowing what I know that he would leave me at, you know, at the, the ripe old age of 68 years old. So, um, I, what I decided too was that I, I don't know how many days I have on this planet, but the number of days that I have, I'm going to do my best to enjoy every single one. And a lot of times that, that has to do with how you're going to approach a certain circumstance or a certain situation. And for me, I know that when I, when I approach my life with, Hey, this is, this is okay. I can figure this out. This is going to be good. No matter how bad it is, it's going to be good. That a a good situation is likely to occur. And as a result of, of my attitude on that, I'm, I'm going to, you know, for lack of a better term, I'm going to win. I'm going to have a great day. I'm going to have a great moment. I'm going to have a successful, whatever it may be. It turns out golf is that way too. That, that if, if I allow one bad shot to affect the next shot, well, then that's my fault. And I do know I'm, I'm, I'm human. I'm not, I'm not, um, you know, one of those perfect, uh, individuals. There was only one of those. And so I look at this from a standpoint of, Hey, you're going to have moments that aren't going to go the way you want, but those you can't control. What you can control is your attitude. And if I have control over my attitude, then I'm going to make sure that it's a good one. Because as we like to say on, on our show, uh, your attitude is like the weather. The only difference is you control your attitude. And so for me, it, it, it has been instrumental in my relationships with my kids. It has been absolutely a necessity with my, my wife and my, my life. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's something that no matter what happens in my life, I will always make sure that I find the positive in whatever occurs, because I know that that will in fact create a positive outcome. Kudos to you, Michael, for that. And, and speaking of great days and, and having a great attitude, 1994, Greater Hartford Open, you qualify to get to play yep. was what's essentially a home game going through Monday qualifying at Lyman Orchards in middle field. You shoot 69 to get into the field. What was it like being inside the rope playing in front of, like I say, friends, family, a home game? Yeah. You know, uh, first of all, Chris, I, I will tell you this, that was that last round. I shot 71 on Friday, obviously missed the cut, but I shot 71 on Friday. That was the last round of golf that my dad ever saw me play. He was, he was diagnosed 
in October of 94 with Alzheimer's, and he never saw me play another uh, tournament round again. And um, so I was extremely grateful for that. And I think that there are certain things in life that you look at, particularly now when you look back at them and you go, wow, that was sort of preordained. Um, so for me to be able to, to play at Hartford, the, the other cool stuff to that was there were four people that qualified on that given day, myself being one of them. But two of the other guys, one of them was a guy named Jim Gentile, who I am still extremely close to. And another guy was a guy named Brad Frey, who went to the University of Richmond. But Brad and I worked together at Birchwood Country Club. And so w- when you kind of, when you, you look at that and you kind of see these things, you go, man, this was just meant to be. And I had a lot of, uh, I mean, a lot of near misses in these four spotters and, and U.S. Opens and things like that. Um, but it was, it was almost perfect is the easiest way to say it. What was it like being inside the ropes? It was like anything else. You know, you're, you're, you're part of the show. And it was a, a sort of a, the first statement in my uh, instructional career where the things that I was working on actually worked and, and they did what, what I believed that they could do. And all of a sudden it led me to, to that tournament. And I, so I, it, it, gave me this belief of, hey, you know what, the things that you're doing instructionally do work. And look, here's the evidence. And it gave me a lot of confidence in my instruction. And it, and it really um, allowed me to uh, have the confidence to, you know, know that I could help the elite players play at the highest level and that the stuff that I believed to be true actually were true. So there were a lot of, of you know, in looking back at it, there were a lot of things that that um, I I took away from that that deal with me today. Frankly, Michael, you've had a number of of dream jobs so far in the course of your career, at least from my perspective. One of those being an assistant pro at Augusta National. Talk about how you landed that yeah. job. You know, so I, I told you about Birchwood Country Club, which is this uh, nine hole club in Westport, Connecticut. And, um, the way I, the way I got the job, I was working with a guy named Larry Tedesco, who, um, Larry played golf at Furman. Uh, and he, in fact, he and Brad Frey and I worked together there anyway. So, um, he, he went to Furman and, um, he had asked me on my, as I was sort of heading down to Florida to go and, and, you know, try to, play golf and work on my game. He said, why don't you stop by Furman on the way and we'll play some golf. And I went, okay. So I stopped by Furman and I probably stayed at Furman for a couple of days and met a guy named Steven Spencer, who was Larry's roommate. Steven Spencer um, was, is the son of David Spencer, who was the head golf professional at Augusta National. Anyway, so I hung out with those guys for a couple of days and Steven and I hit it off. And he said, you know, you ought to meet my dad when you go to the PGA show. So he set up a, a dinner and um, I brought a resume and had a wonderful time meeting. He and, and the other pro was Bob Kletke, their wives and some other people that, that uh, worked or had worked at, um, at Augusta National. Anyway, the dinner was great. They asked me if I would go and, and work the 
Masters Tournament, which every year they hire a number of, of professionals uh, to come and help out during during tournament. And during that time, I was down there for about three weeks. Uh, this is in 1989. Um, he uh, he asked me to go out and play golf with one of the members there, and I went out and played and played great. Shot 68. And after the the round was over, that member went into the golf shop and told Dave what a great job Dave had done. And and this particular member did not know that. I was only a part-time sort of assistant. He knew that I was working at Augusta National and that I was a golf professional. So he just made the assumption that I was working there full-time anyway. So he goes into the pro shop and he tells David Spencer what a great job David David had done in uh, hiring me. And um, the next thing you know uh, about that, you know, the tournament goes great, blah, blah, blah. And about a month and a half later, I get a uh, a letter from David that says, give me a call. It was a simple one. Call me, Spence, and a number. And I called him and he said, how'd you like to work at Augusta National as a full-time assistant starting in wow. uh, in October? And I went, let me think about it. I'm in. <laughs> how long are you going to think about that one for, right? Gonna go, yeah, let me, let me see. I'll bring that up with the committee. <laughs> so yeah so i went down there and it was it was just you know it was great and you know again a life-changing uh opportunity as i'm sure you're well aware no doubt michael just a couple more before i let you go and and i read that uh you you had an opportunity there to to play around with raymond floyd what a thrill that had to be you know um i uh I, i'm I'm always so impressed when I get a chance to meet people that are um, sort of spotlight people. Raymond Floyd is a spotlight person. And um, in fact, when we played, it was, it was a January of uh, the year that he lost to Faldo in a playoff. So this is 1990. He loses to Faldo when he hits that eight iron on the 11th hole into the water and, and Nick goes on and wins his second in a row. And I played with him that January and we had a great time and we made a little, you know, he had a little bet and he said, uh, let's play a, let's play a $5 Nassau. And I said, okay, how many strokes am I going to get? And he said, he said, you're not getting any strokes. And I said, with all due respect, Mr. Floyd, you're a major champion you've won more majors than I played in. And I'm an assistant golf professional at Augusta National. Don't think for a second that I'm going to play you even up. I might as well just give you 15 <laughs> bucks right now and let's go have fun. So he goes, okay, I'll give you two shots on the front side and we'll negotiate on the back. And so I said, okay. So we go out and I'm, you know, I played pretty good and I'm, I've got a, a putt on the ninth hole um, for birdie to get to three under par. I've got a one shot lead on him and I'm getting a shot on the ninth hole. And so I'm one up and he makes a putt from sort of behind the hole. And I'm, I'm putting sort of from the four thirty spot and the 10th green is back by the 12 o'clock spot. And he's putting from the 12 o'clock spot and he, and he knocks his ball into the hole. He picks it up. And instead of returning back to the, 
like going towards the 10th tee. He goes around me, literally goes to six and then around to the left. And he goes, enjoy your putt, pro. And so I know I'm, 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 I'm dealing with a guy who has, he's a multiple major champion. And, and this is as important to him as anything. While I make my putt, he says to me, you only get one shot on the backside. I shoot three under on the front. I get one shot on the backside. Needless to say, Mr. Floyd goes out. And I, I shoot 68 that day. And wow. Raymond Floyd goes out and shoots 64, birdieing 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, doesn't birdie 16, and birdie 17 and 18. And, I mean, it was a – it was a, and it, it might not have been that many, but it seemed like that. He birdied – I think he birdied <laughs> five of seven holes coming in and beat me. And what – but what was the coolest part, Chris, was about – Four days after we played, I got a, a note from him with a picture that he took that I still have. And it said, Michael, really enjoyed playing golf with you. Um, thought you'd like this picture. And I will also tell you, too, um, I, I have had the, the great fortune of running into Raymond Floyd on a number of occasions since then. And he has always known exactly where I was in my career. Before I was working for Golf Channel, before I was doing what I was doing with SiriusXM, or before I'm doing what I'm doing with CBS, he was aware that I left Augusta National and took a, a teaching job at Deepdale, and then he knew that I had a, had gotten a head pro job at Birchwood, and he knew I got a head pro job at at Sunningdale. I mean, he followed my career, and it just speaks to what a, a what a tremendous man. Raymond Floyd is. One more, Michael, before I let you go. And now we're looking at a Masters in November. None of us have seen the Masters or Augusta National in November, that time of year. It's obviously going to be different. Uh, and on top of that, no patrons. So it's going to be very different looking at it and hearing what we are used to the roars. We're not going to hear that anymore. You may be the only one that any of us know that uh, has probably been out on the on the uh, course at that time of year. What what should we be looking for? How different is it going to be? Well, I will tell you this: November is the uh, least amount of rainfall in Augusta that they have. So I think what you're going to see is you're going to see a golf course that is um, it's going to be firm. There's no question about it, and it'll play very very similar to how it plays in April. Um, there are a, a few a few things that are different. One will be, obviously, the days are going to be quite a bit shorter. And um, that means that they'll, you know, the tee times, I believe, will be a little bit earlier. And now you got to remember about Augusta, it's on the East Coast time, but it is, a, it is west a bit. Um, so... So my expectation is, is that the morning rounds will be a little bit cold. The average temperature uh, during that time relative to April is probably four or five degrees colder. Um, so the lows will be a little bit lower and the highs won't quite, as, quite be as high. It will still be and can be incredibly nice in November. And I think the other thing is, is that, you know, you're not going to see the azaleas in bloom and all that. But what I will tell you is, and I did hear you talk a little bit about this with TP, um, what I will tell you is, is that 
in a in a very sort of um, strange way, you you will always hear the roars, and I, the roars of Nicholas in '86, and the roars of Larry Mize and and Nick Faldo and Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson, those roars still exist. We've seen the one thing about Augusta National that makes it different than um, Wingfoot or Harding Park or any of the places where major championships take place is everybody knows what what hole is what. Everybody knows what the 10th hole looks like and the 11th hole looks like we, because we've seen it for 5, 10, 15, 30, 40 years. We've watched the Masters every year for 40 years, and we know the golf course, whether we've been on the property or we haven't. We, we know what, it's, what it looks like and what it's, what it's all about. And so what I will tell you is, is that those roars still exist. And I think that, that, yes, we will miss patrons, but, no, I, I think we'll all still hear the roars because we will be jumping on our feet in our living room. And CBS does such a marvelous job of embracing the history of Augusta National. And so we'll, we'll see Jack Nicholas make that putt on 17 with Vern Lundquist saying, yes, sir. And we'll see the, the shot that Jack Nicholas hit with a five iron on the, on the 16th hole and Jim Nance saying the bears out of hibernate because we, we, we've lived those moments. And so, you know, for me, I, I know there won't be patrons there, but I still think we'll hear the roars because the roars are going to be in our room. They're going to be in our living rooms. They're going to be in our kitchen. They're going to be all across. I mean, I get, I get chill bumps just thinking about it because we will have master's watch parties. They're just going to happen. And you'll be with your family and they'll be, Tiger's got this putt <laughs> or Bryson's got this putt. And, and as I say this to you, I know you feel the same because that's what happens. And then he'll make the putt and we'll have our own roar. And so what I would say is, I think they're going to be there. They might not come out of the television, but they're going to be there. I promise. Michael, before I let you go, remind our listeners how they can uh, listen to your show and then also stay up to date with all the great things that you're doing, whether it's online or it's on social media. So I appreciate you allowing me that, Chris. Um, just go to michaelbreed.com and you can see all my information. You can, uh, you'll be able to book lessons through there as well as uh, sign up for our newsletter and, and get all the information that, that, um, you would need to, to, uh, be a part of what we've got going on um, in all our different uh, platforms. But on Twitter and Instagram, it's at Michael Breed, and we release um, instructional content on YouTube. If you go to Michael Breed, just just search Michael Breed and you'll find it. We're releasing instructional content uh, all week long, every single week, to Titleist and Golf Pride and Foot Joy and Morgan Franklin and all my partners, Omega, everybody. Um, and then on Monday mornings at 11 Eastern, you can catch me on uh, Course Record with Michael Breed. Greg Ducharme, as you well know, is on that show. And then every morning, um, Monday to Friday on Sirius XM, A New Breed of Golf from 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. 
uh, all week long. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm doing that. And then I'll be also doing some play-by-play coverage at Wingfoot, um, which I'm excited for. Wingfoot is, a, is right around the corner from where I live. And, and um, so I'll be, I'll be proud to be a part of the, the Sirius XM broadcast for the, for the United States Open. So a lot of little different things that we've got going on and, and uh, certainly keeps me busy. And I, and I am uh, very fortunate to say I'm, I'm a part of all these different things. So thank you for allowing me to, uh, to let people know about that, Chris. Absolutely, Michael. Well, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to come and be a part of the show. You're fantastic, my friend. I hope we get the opportunity to have you back on again sometime soon. You know, Chris, I, I would love to be a part of that, and, and congratulations to all your success. I, I follow you on on Twitter, and, and I'm well aware of all the different things that you've got going on. Your your reputation is exactly um, where you would want it, and that is you've got the the highest respect from from those of us in the in the business, and and uh, so you should be very proud. And, and getting guests like Tom Patry and Charlie Reimer, et cetera, you know, you. You don't get those guests without having um, the respect of, of those individuals. So you've got a lot to be proud of, and I'm proud to be a part of it. And anytime you want me back, just send me a text. I'd love to do it. I appreciate all of that very much, Michael. Take care, my friend. Stay safe. All the best to you and your family. Look forward to doing it again soon. As well, Chris. Thank you so much. All the best. Take care. Thanks. See you, Michael. That's a great Michael Breed, folks. Uh, just as 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 warm and genuine a guy as as you're going to meet, it really doesn't get much better than that. Um, like I said uh, during the course of the conversation, his positivity and enthusiasm are what hooked me many many years ago and kind of pulled me in and has had me listening and watching to Michael ever since. And uh, Greg Ducharme has has become a great friend and he's been on the show a few times as well. So hopefully we get the privilege of catching up again uh, with Michael real soon. All right, before I get to my next guest, Charlie Reimer and Dwayne Horton, I want to give another shout out to a couple of our sponsors, starting with our friends over at Finn Cycles. It's time to rethink golf. The game is at a tipping point. The young people we need in the game don't have four and a half hours to spend out on the course. Pairing Finn Cycles with a desire to play ready golf can cut playing time in half because all golfers go directly to their own golf ball. Plus, it's tons of fun. Go online to finscooters.com and click on Find a Finn for a course that has them near you. I also want to give another shout-out to our friends over at the McLemore. The McLemore Mountaintop community rests atop the highlands of Lookout Mountain, Georgia, overlooking historic McLemore Cove and Pigeon Mountain. Surrounded on all sides by state and national parks, historic land districts, and private land trusts, the resort features an 18-hole Reese Jones and Bill Bergen championship course, a gated residential community, and a planned clubhouse opening in the fall of 2020, plus planned hotel and conference center. The dramatic 18-hole course is made up of a variety of golf experiences, combining canyon holes, highland holes, cliff edge holes that are well-suited for the beginning golfer as well as the senior player. McLemore also offers a wonderful six-hole short course called the Karen. Designed by Bill Bergen, the Karen provides players with a short warm-up or cool-down before or after a round, or a relaxing way to improve one's game with family and friends. McLemore is located a short driving distance from Atlanta, Nashville, Knoxville, Birmingham, and Huntsville, and just 35 minutes from downtown Chattanooga, voted number one best town in America two years in a row by Outside Magazine. While a private course, McLemore offers stay-and-play packages for guests in club-managed properties, 
as well as a number of membership opportunities, including social memberships, non-resident memberships, and corporate memberships as well. For more information, please visit McLemore online at themclemore.com or give them a call at 800-329-8154. All right, now joining me here on Next on the TR, Charlie Reimer and Dwayne Horton. Speaking of the McLemore, let me give you some background on both of those guys. You know Charlie from the wonderful job he did for years over on the Golf Channel. He's from Cleveland, Tennessee, which is just a little northeast of Chattanooga. Charlie won the U.S. Junior Amateur Championship in 1985 at Brookfield Country Club in New York in a playoff over Gregory Lesher. Played his college golf down here at Georgia Tech, where he was a two-time All-American, and he was inducted into their Sports Hall of Fame in 2000. Charlie turned pro and played on the Corn Ferry Tour in 1994. Got a big win that year in his home state at the Nike South Carolina Open. Finished second the following week at the Central Georgia Open. Charlie's best finish on tour came in 1995 at the Shell Houston Open when he finished third behind Payne Stewart, who would go on to win that tournament in a playoff over Scott Hoke. We've gotten to know Charlie as a broadcaster, first during his time at ESPN in the late 1990s, and then over on the Golf Channel starting in 2008 when he co-hosted The Morning Drive. And when Charlie did a video for his upcoming appearance on tonight's show, he talked about how he was packing some heat. And that heat is the president of one of our sponsors, the beautiful McLemore course, Dwayne Horton. Dwayne is the president of the Scenic Land Company, who is the developer of the McLemore course. And as you've heard me and some of our friends here on the show, like uh, tour caddy Kip Henley saying, the 18th hole is one of the best finishing holes in golf. The place is just breathtaking, and I'm very excited to have Dwayne and Charlie with me here tonight on Next on the Tee. Hey, Dwayne. Hey, Charlie. Thanks for coming on the show. Hey Chris, hey, Chris, thank you so you much doing? for the opportunity. Yeah, appreciate you having us. I, I, I mean, Breeder was on such a roll. Is he still talking? I mean, I've never heard him <laughs> uh, go that long. <laughs> I'm, I'm hanging on every word. But yeah, Breeder is uh, he, he is the best. I, I've uh, got to know him at, at Golf Channel when he was in uh, doing his shows and. I'll tell you what, a lot of people, I always thought he was hyped up on caffeine. He doesn't even drink coffee, but uh, his love of the game is, is is phenomenal. His knowledge is amazing. I'm around him. Whenever I'm around him, I learn something, and and uh, that's on the golf side, and his TV skills are phenomenal. But uh, he, he's a heck of a guy, no doubt about it. But uh, pr- appreciate you having me on tonight, Chris, along with uh, Dwayne, my, my fellow Georgia Tech uh, graduate. and. Uh, uh, Dwayne's the president of McLemore, and, and when I first saw McLemore and I met Dwayne, I said, this place is spectacular. How, how can I figure out a way to be involved in, in what you're doing in this uh, amazing property? And and uh, we're, we're, we're pretty new in our relationship. I guess only goes back maybe a year and a half or two years, but uh, Dwayne's another guy. Whenever, like Just like Michael Breed, whenever I'm around him, I learn something. And, uh, mm-hmm. So it, it's great to be on with Dwayne tonight. That's too kind, Charlie. Way too kind, but uh, Chris, appreciate the opportunity to be here and speak about Michael Moore tonight. I've got an interesting story to share with Charlie later after we get into this a little bit. So, all right. So, Dwayne, let's start there, right? Let's talk about the history of the golf course and the project to to bring the Michael Moore to life. I know uh, there was an existing course there at, on that property, Canyon Ridge. Talk about how you guys came across that property and and really started to get involved and wanted to take that and make it into what now, in my opinion, one of the great golf courses in the country. 
Well, I pre- Chris, we are so excited to be able to offer up what we have at Macklemore. When uh, when I first laid eyes on this property, uh, it's important for everyone to understand this is my home county. I mean, this is home to me. I literally grew up below. If you stood on the 18th green, you can see where I live, and you can see almost where I went to elementary school, if not for a hill on a tree. Um, it, this is a place that as I was growing up, uh, I had no idea the beauty and um, the awe that this place inspired. When I left, Went to Georgia Tech, got a great degree, uh, traveled the world, saw other places, and then I'd bring people back. And I was like, wow, I, I just took advantage of this place and didn't really understand what it, uh, what it really had to offer. And I couldn't be happier, couldn't be prouder to represent uh, the people that live here, the community, and to bring, um, to expand great golf in Georgia. I mean, when you look at what's happened in Georgia uh, with all the great golfers, I mean, you have Patrick Reed, uh, Bubba Watson, um, Harris English from Georgia, Keith Mitchell, uh, even the great Charlie Reimer that's on the phone with us ourselves. <laughs> and, uh, don't leave Kevin Kisner out. He'll get mad if you leave him out. <laughs> uh, oh, thank you. Uh, don't let me leave anybody out, Charlie. You're the expert here. Please don't. But, but when you look at what – Golf in Georgia has offered with Augusta National, East Lake, uh, Peachtree, uh, uh, Sea Island, uh, Reynolds Plantation. I mean, it's just go, the list goes on and on. And for us to even be a part of great golf at all, uh, it, it, this is my home state. This is my hometown. And uh, for us to be able to represent it means the world to me. And uh, I, I couldn't imagine uh, a greater opportunity. So I just appreciate uh, sharing this and uh, and what we're able to bring to the table here. So, so Dwayne, I mean, well, to we, that and, point, and, right? Hey, hey you, Dwayne, you got you got to you got to include the back-to-back U.S. Amateur Champions at Georgia Tech and Andy Ogletree, uh, and you, Fachi, who had I, the amazing please, run. There's out so much. Yeah, it's uh, it's just <laughs> unbelievable. It's it's hard to get it all in in one show. What all's going on? Uh, in, in the state of Georgia uh, with, with, well, with golf, it's, it's just amazing. You can't fit it all in. I mean, I was literally there at the at uh, the Masters the year that Tiger won the Tiger Slam. And, uh, you know, and for him to do what he did at East Lake just a year or two ago on Reese Jones' course, who Reese Jones and Bill Bergen, I mean, Bill Bergen did a lion's share of the work here, but Reese uh, contributed heavily. I mean, to have, to just add to Georgia golf is a great pleasure for us. And, uh, and we appreciate the opportunity to do that. So, so Dwayne, to that point, right. When we talk about, and, you know, Bill Bergen and, and Reese Jones are great friends of the show and talk about how you got those two guys involved. When you looked at the property and you wanted to really start over and, and create something special, talk about why those two guys came to mm-hmm. mind. Well, Chris, I wish I could say, I wish I could share that I grew up in golf and everything else. I really didn't. I grew up on a farm. Um, my dad introduced me to golf right before he passed away in 53, when he was 53 years old. And uh, Macklemore, uh, the previous course that was there, was a course he wanted to play and never got the opportunity to before he passed away. And to have the opportunity to bring this place to the table um, and and, and be something bigger. I love, I love land and I love fellowship. 
and I love camaraderie. I love, um, you know, people uh, wanting to push themselves to be the best. And when you look at that, golf is all of that. And even though I wasn't raised in golf, uh, even though I had, I mean, I was introduced to golf very late in life. Don't ask me my handicap. I'm not going to share it. There's not anybody else in the industry that loves and appreciates this game more than I do and wants to share what it means. And in this world that we're in, to introduce character, that's one reason we did this short course, to introduce the opportunity for young kids to tease on the course, to be able to introduce kids and uh, longer generations to be able to enjoy the game and what it means to bring people together. If you look at how many people have come together through the game of golf and the relationship that it pulls together, I don't know anything else in the world that brings people together quite the way golf does. And when you look at what's happened with this pandemic, at how it's taken off, we couldn't have timed this. And we, w- we didn't time it for that. But it just speaks to what this game really represents. Charlie. Talk about um, your involvement here. How how did you first come across Dwayne and, and get involved with the McLemore? Well, Dwayne talks about his golf game not being very good. I do need to point out that the first time we played golf, he did birdie the first hole. Now, I went downhill <laughs> from there, but <laughs> but but he he did birdie the first hole. But, you know, I, I, um, I, I live here in Myrtle Beach. Uh, I, I represent the golf in Myrtle Beach. Uh, I grew up in South Carolina, but I was born in Tennessee. Uh, I I left Tennessee, uh, gosh, I was like uh, second or third grade and came to Fort Mill, South Carolina. I was very grateful for the junior golf programs that we had in South Carolina and and, uh, what what that enabled me to do in the game. But I've I've always had close ties to to the Chattanooga area. My, My hometown, as you mentioned in my bio, where I was born was was Cleveland, Tennessee, and and so it was summers and 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 Christmas and holidays, and all my family uh, is, is in that area, and 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 I've had ties, you know, over all the years to 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 that area, and and uh, um, I, I became aware of what was going on up there at McLemore through through a mutual friend, um, uh, actually a family member, a couple of years ago, and made the introduction to to Dwayne and and a couple of the other investors that are that are involved there. And Macklemore, and they said, "Hey, you need to come up and look at this property." So I was actually up doing, uh, just just up uh, about oh, I guess about twenty five or thirty minutes out of Macklemore is is a great Seth Rayner golf course, Lookout Mountain Country Club. I was doing a fundraiser up there to to help out a charity in Atlanta, and so so I came down, I looked at Macklemore, and and I pulled up uh, to to uh, what is is now a clubhouse. When I pulled in there, it was it was it was just a uh, an empty space waiting for the construction of the clubhouse. And, and I looked out over the property and the clouds were below where I was standing. And I said, okay, you got me. And, and, and I mean, are you kidding me? You can play golf above the clouds. And, and uh, I got in a cart and went out and looked at some of the golf course and I just fell in love with it. And, and Lookout Mountain is a place that as a kid, I would go and, and visit Rock City. Rock, Rock City is an amazing place. It's a magical place. Uh, there's some other attractions there. Uh, there's a Ruby Falls. There's some really neat things that 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 happen there on on Lookout Mountain. And you've got these magnificent boulders. You've got some elevation. The view looks down into Chattanooga. 
down the mountain, you, you, you get the same kind of views. Obviously, you're looking in a just wonderful uh, uh, valley up in that part of the world. We call them coves. And and I've always I'd always been intrigued by the the land there and the, and sort of the flat top mountain. You got Alabama on the other side. And when I, when I first saw this golf course, I thought, you know what? I've been wanting to uh, have a getaway place to get back up to the area where my family is from. And my wife's family is from the North Atlanta area, and it's really easy to get down in there. And and uh, then I got a chance to meet Dwayne, and I said, Dwayne, you know the passion that you have for this property. Uh, uh, really having grown up, as he mentioned, down in the cove, in the bottom of the cove, um, it, it's contagious. And, and seeing what Reese Jones and Bill Bergen have been able to do here and rework in this golf course, I, how, how can I help? How can I get involved? And, and so we started a conversation from there and, and I've just, um, just fallen in love with it. It's, it's, it's a beautiful place. It's a great golf course, but more than that, it's great people. And, and, they they all have this sort of emotional or spiritual attachment to to this mountain and this place, and they want it to be as good as it can be uh, for for the generations to come. And 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 sitting in and uh, some of the meetings and talking to Dwayne and the other folks that are involved in it, it's very clear that that's what the goal Charlie is. Blair. And that's just the kind of kind of people that you that you want to be involved with. And Charlie, you talk about the golf course, and I, and I we'll get to the 18th hole here. In a little bit, but I, I want to get your thoughts because the vistas from the first green on are spectacular. For for folks who haven't had an opportunity to see the golf course, um, talk about what it's like playing it and some of the views and the things you get to see uh, along the way. Well, one of the first things I want to mention, the elevation there is about 23, 2400 feet. And and that's enough elevation in an era where everyone in the southeast has gone to Bermuda grass. Well, Macklemore is able to maintain wonderful bent grass. And it's been so long since I put on bent grass. When I go up there, I'm like, wow, I really, I really miss great, great bent grass. But you also in the summertime you get a you get a little break from the heat. Uh, it's it's not like going you know up to the North Carolina mountains where you're at four thousand forty five hundred feet. But it's enough of a break in in terms of temperature that you you really get out of the heat. You know, if it's ninety, if it's ninety in Atlanta or downtown Chattanooga, it's going to be eighty one, eighty two up on Macklemore. And there's a big difference between ninety and eighty one or eighty two. You just get a lot. It's just a lot more comfortable up there, and then humidity's down a little bit too. But the thing is, and I know you want to get to the eighteenth hole here in a little bit, Chris, and the fact that it's been recognized as one of the best holes built in the U.S. since two thousand is really cool but it's a little unfair that it overshadows the other 17 holes and it really is a neat golf course and and what what bill and reese were able to do there and and sort of taking the existing corridors and working in a new course uh have have uh it's amazing and there are other great places than 18 that you get some wonderful views there's a few places where you get the sense that it's a mountain course there's a few other places where that sort of the highlands feel uh there there's that when you play as soon as you go from one green over to two you're in this magnificent canyon and and there's just everywhere you look there's something that's interesting whether it's it's that it's it's a high grasses the blend the trees the views what i love about the area i mentioned rock city earlier i i just love these boulders we've got these huge boulders all over this golf course and and 
all over this property and they have character and, and they're ancient. They've been there forever. They're going to be there a lot, uh, uh, well past when we're all dead and buried, believe me. But it just sort of gives a, the, this, this whole property, the whole mountaintop, the, the feel of uh, just, it's a spiritual place. And it's a, an amazing experience when you come and play and you don't want to leave when you get finished. You want to hang out, check out the view. It's a great place to sit and have a wonderful glass of wine and, and tell some stories. In my case, you know, most of the time that's lies. But, uh, <laughs> you know, you want to go You want to go to a place, I think, this day and age where it's more than just a round of golf. You can have an experience. You can be with people you want to be with. You, you've got the golf and you've got what happens after the golf. You can get over to this great short course that's, that's phenomenal. And uh, you, you come to Macklemore and, and it's, a, it's a day that you're going to remember. It's a day you're not going to want to be in a big hurry uh to 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 finish uh you 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 know you you just want to sort of linger when you get finished uh playing golf and hanging out there for a day hey chris um what's really neat about what charlie just said you what's neat about macklemore is it's not new it's just undiscovered it's it's ancient it's it's uh these woodlands these uh you know ancient boulder fields that already exist uh, that have been there, but people just aren't aware of it yet. And to be able to open up and introduce the game of golf into this rugged wilderness that's been tamed by time alone, uh, it you just really have to experience this place to really appreciate it. And Dwayne, as Charlie mentioned, the 18th hole has been named, you know, one of the great new golf holes, you know, of, of this century. Um, Kip Henley was on the show a couple of weeks ago. Kip talked about on Twitter how the 18th hole is outside of the 18th at Pebble Beach, the finest finishing hole in golf. Talk about what all of that means to you and to the course to know that what you've built here is not just getting recognized locally. It's getting recognized around the world as, as just you know one of the great new golf courses. Well, I'm going to begin with saying this. Uh, Bill Bergen still has scars from discovering this land. I mean, he went down when it was thorns and briars and willow. I mean, uh, there was an idea presented. We said, Bill, there's a piece of land down here. Can you make it work? And he went searching and he came back. And not only did he come back and say, I can make it happen. He delivered something that was beyond all expectations. And that is, uh, I, I cannot ever repay uh, what he's done uh, for us and for this region and for the game of golf with here. I mean, for, the, you know, the iconic list that Dan Jenkins put together of the best uh, 18 holes in golf and Pebble Beach being the best 18th hole. And then the second list with Dan Jenkins and Ron Witten for Harbortown to be the best. And for us to be, for, for Macklemore to be the first inland golf course. You know, you had a West Coast and an East Coast course and for macklemore to be the first inland 18th hole to uh receive that designation uh they were they deserve all kudos all efforts and we're just so glad to be a part of that and to have the opportunity to make it accessible to not just our region but the entire nation and the world on that i i, I couldn't be happier uh with that opportunity Folks, as we say on the show every week, go on the com and check out that 18th hole and the rest of the golf course as well. But Charlie, you did a wonderful video 
playing the 18th hole. When you stand on that tee with nothing but Macklemore Cove 1,200 feet down for anything <laughs> that goes left or goes long over the green, how do you play that hole without, first of all, just being overcome by how beautiful it looks, but then how intimidating the shots are? Well, the thing about it is, is if you're playing for the experience, you want to take in the view. And and uh, it's still a head scratcher when you when you stand in the fairway and you look up at the green and it it really has this strong impression that it that it's that it's undercut and, and there's this, uh, there's a tree hanging out there and and it it just sort of blows your mind. Wait a minute, I can't I can't believe that there, there's a green there and and it it really is a lot like uh, playing Pebble Beach or. Uh, for the folks uh, listening that might have been the old head in Ireland, uh, you know, it, it's just one of those places that you got to have your camera, you got to take a picture, and and uh, if you're playing for the experience, you sort of want to take your time and 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 look around and enjoy. I mean, we hadn't even talked about some of the wildlife. I mean, you start looking at the hawks flying around there and look down in the valley. I mean, you really spend spend a ton of time in there. But if you're playing it and and you're playing in a tournament or you're trying to get in your buddy's pocket. You better not start looking around. You almost have to pull the bill of your cap down and 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 make sure you're just looking at the ground because there's so much there to look at that's distracting. And uh, we've recently been been talking a little bit about pace of play at Macklemore and trying to sort of establish you know a time par. And and that's one of the things. Normally I'm like, make it quicker. Let's make it quicker. You know, let's play it three and a half hours, three three hours and forty five minutes. But you know, when you come to a golf course like Macklemore. To me, four and a half hours seem reasonable because there ain't no place you'd rather be than there. You know, it's like going to Pebble Beach. You, why are you going to get in a hurry when you're playing Pebble Beach? There's not one place you can go that's better than where you're playing golf right now. And and Macklemore sort, sort of has that feel. You just want to slow down, breathe, take in what you see and, and enjoy the views, enjoy the, 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 the presentation of the golf course and enjoy the people that you're with. Yeah, that's what we've heard is people have said, you know, for uh, this, to, I mean, we've had many, many guests say this is Pebble Beach of the mountain, and I can't take anything away from Pebble Beach, and I pray nobody ever hears that. We wouldn't even put our name <laughs> in the same sentence as them, um, but uh, it's what other, and we're just hoping others before they judge or before they say it's too much, that they'll come experience it for themselves. Uh and experience what Macklemore is themselves. Dwayne, not only do you have a great ambassador and a guy like Charlie Reimer, but uh, another local legend, Gibby Gilbert, who's from Chattanooga, has uh, you know been on property a few times. I'm curious to get uh, what his reaction has been. Have you talked to him about what the course is like, and has he given you some feedback? I have, uh, but before I get on to Gilby, uh, Gibby, uh, it's really neat. We, I had the opportunity to go out and play Pebble the first time this last uh, January. And when I was out there, and, I and looked on the way, and I Chris, saw the... Pr- there, hey, Dwayne, they're still filling divots from when Dwayne was out there <laughs> playing last year. They brought in a bulldozer. They brought in some bulldozers, heavy equipment. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, no, when I was... Hey, by the way, I did birdie number two on uh pebble that was that was a uh terrific experience uh to share so no but we were out there and i looked on and they had the um they had the uh, pro-am of 
boring. I mean, this is a big deal. I mean, this is cast in iron, big monument, and Gilby Gilbert's name was on there. And forgive me if I get the year wrong. I think it was 78. But I had no idea. I mean, he's here from Chattanooga, and I had no idea that he had won um, the Pro-Am at Pebble. And to see a local Chattanooga uh, person on that, that was really a great experience. But, no, Gibby's been up, been a great ambassador as well uh, to what we've done. You know, I hope ultimately um, what we've done speaks for itself. I don't want to – we're not at a point we want to pay anybody or – over broadcast what we've done. We just want to deliver great experience. And what's given me the most uh, satisfaction is there's never been a review we've had that hasn't talked about the golf course, that also hasn't talked about the service that our staff's provided. And, um, you know, there's a great, lot of great property in America, but uh, all we can control is what we can offer and what we can do. And and we've given that. And, uh, you know, you asked me a question a moment ago, Chris, about the 18th. And I'm going to tell you, as great as the 18th is, uh, this is one of my favorite stories that I can share. Reese Jones, in a press conference, was standing in front of several reporters. I mean, numerous reporters, guests, and everything else. And the 18th hole is all new. And so somebody posed the question, so is the 18th hole the new signature hole for Macklemore. And Reese Jones said, no. He said, this is a signature course. He said, there's so many holes at Macklemore that could be signature holes on other courses that I want the players to decide for themselves. So for Golf Digest to give that award and beforehand for Reese Jones, a living legend, to identify what else we have to offer. My only regret is how the 18th is overshadowing so many other wonderful holes that it shouldn't do, but it's still magnificent. And you just have to experience it again to believe it. So, Guys, just a couple more before I let you go. And Dwayne, when you think about what you guys have created and all of the accolades, are you wanting to keep the course as a private, sort of a resort kind of course, or are you hoping that maybe down the line we might see a PGA or an LPGA tour event being played there? I'm going to let Charlie weigh in a little bit. I'm going to tell you this. The biggest, and I'm going to come out and tell you this, the biggest issue with Macklemore from a purist golf standpoint, it's not a walkable course. You can walk the holes. There's not a single hole out there that you can't walk the hole. But there is terrain change between the holes. And um, it's not conducive to a PGA event. It is conducive to having a blast, to having a great, to having a special time that you cannot happen to share with others. And uh, that's what we want to do. At some point in time, I anticipate we're going to have other courses. We're going to have walkable courses. When the hotel comes in, uh, what we're doing at Macklemore as much recognition as we've had, and it's beyond what I would hope for, but it's really just the beginning of what we're doing up here. And uh, uh, with that said, it's uh, uh, we welcome an opportunity to host an event, but it would be a challenge. But nobody that showed up has been disappointed. And so far, everybody that's, seen, that's played the place has said, 
the pictures don't do it justice, as great as they are. Yeah, Charlie, I mean, what's I your thought? Did a, well, I think Dwayne did, did a great job of, of describing, you know, sort, sort of when, when, when you look at a golf course, what, what's it supposed to do? Who does it serve? And, and while it's certainly very capable of, of hosting any kind of an event, uh, b- because of its remote location and some of the challenges between holes, I mean, quite honestly, when you, when you build a mountain golf course, uh, it, 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 it's not real conducive a lot of times to having the big events, but the actual course itself, if you over, if you wanted to put a tremendous amount of effort into overcoming some of the logis- logistical issues, you, you could play any kind of event there you wanted. Uh, but the thing that, the thing that I love about a- a Macklemore for, for me, and I'm going to be a little selfish on this. It, it's a great getaway place. And, and, you know, if, if, if you're sitting in Atlanta, you're sitting in Nashville, you're sitting in Birmingham or Knoxville and, and you're, you're going, you know, Hey, well, I want to, I want to take my family. I want to take some buddies. Uh, I, I want, I want to get away to, to a really special place and, and, and have a great time. Uh, and, and, uh, just, just sort of, you know, let, let the crazy world that, that we're all dealing with right now just sort of pass on by me for a few days. This is a place that you want to go see, you want to experience, and, and I guarantee you're going to have a great time. And, and that's why when I first saw it, I wanted to be a part of it. And now being a property owner, soon to, to be, be a homeowner uh, and, and just have a getaway place that I can go and, 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 and let the world just blow right on by and enjoy the views, the golf course, the conditioning. As Dwayne mentioned, the staff, it's a friendly place. And, and to have all of that together, you know, to me, all of those things sort of combined are what make Macklemore a, a, a super special place. It's not about having a, you know, a golf course where Dustin Johnson isn't going to shoot 30 under par or the LPGA is going to be there. While that would be possible, I just don't think that's what Macklemore is all about. Maybe down the road with the other property that's around, that becomes a possibility. But right now, it's just a, it's just a destination getaway place. Uh, and, and, and just relax, enjoy life, enjoy the people that you're with. And Dwayne, to that point, talk about the other amenities that are available. It's not just a, like uh, Charlie mentioned and you've alluded to earlier, it's not just a place where you're going to go play golf. You've got a lot of amenities and a lot of plans. Talk about everything that's going to be available to people uh, once everything gets completed. Mm-hmm. Chris, I appreciate that uh, question more than I can share. This this is where it really started for me. Lookout Mountain is unique in itself, that it's a flat, plateau mountain. It's flat on top. We're the only property owner on Lookout Mountain that owns from one side of the mountain all the way to the other. Two miles wide here. We own, a, we own access to a waterfall on one side and then this beautiful 18th green um, um, on the other. We're surrounded by state parks national parks, um, uh, uh, state wildlife management areas. The largest state wildlife management area is just a few miles away. The number one state park in the state of Georgia is just a few miles away. The number one state park in the state of Alabama is just a few miles away. This is a gem that for some reason people have gone undiscovered. And um, I just, it's a blessing for me to be able to share it and bring um, the jobs, the economic development, the impact that it can have in an area uh, that needs it and offer the opportunity, as Charlie said, for people to get away. Uh, it's not about, you know, it real, Macklemore is really not about 
what tournament have we offered? It's about did you have a good time with your friend? Did you offer them an experience they cannot get anywhere else? Is this something they had no idea even existed? That's what we are. We're a surprise. And uh, we're not always going to be able to be a surprise, but that's what we are at this moment. Uh, and to, you know, for Golf Digest to give us the award for best 18th hole uh, in the last 20 years, and we literally opened less than a year ago from when they started that, I hope that just tells people um, that they are welcomed and um, we want to share this with real people that are looking for a real experience. Dwayne, remind our listeners how they can get more information about personal or corporate memberships and all the other great things that you guys have to offer. Where can they go and get information about that and talk about the resort that's going to open and when that will be available as well? So, Chris, the best place is our website, themacklemore.com. Uh, we're also on Facebook. If you type in Macklemore, it will come up, uh, and you can search for that. Unbelievable images. And, uh, but Chris, before we go, you have to let me ask you a question. Uh, All right. You, you, are, you are one of the best, if not the best, I've heard of being prepared. And you, the questions you've asked have been unbelievable. I'm going to ask you a question. What do you think? Charlie Reimer's toughest course at Georgia Tech was. Ooh. <laughs> no chance. I'll say it was Reimer's, Reimer's laughing, but I'm going to, yeah, this is for you. I'm going to say it was math. No. Public speaking, which. <laughs> just, <laughs> wow. I made a D in public so. speaking. That tells you how <laughs> hard, me how th- good that school is. <laughs> <laughs> Forgive me for throwing that in. Uh, by the way, Georgia Tech is a math school, engineering, uh, uh, how well they do at public speaking. Uh, I'm not going to let them grade for themselves. But uh, no, Char- <laughs> I love Charlie, and I could, we could not have a better ambassador. And let, seriously, we're, Charlie came to us, and I, it means the world to me that he cares uh, sincerely about his own hometown and what we're doing and how he's carrying things forward. This is really authentic, and uh, everything we want to do is about that. And uh, so, Charlie, thank you so much for being willing to come on with us tonight and share this and Absolutely. what you're doing. And, Chris, thank you for the opportunity. It, it, uh, I hope we can share more as we grow in uh, what Macklemore is offering. So thank you. Yeah. Appreciate it, guys. Charlie, before, Charlie, before I let you go, though, I got I got a little something extra for you because – I had John Cook on the show last week, and John well, left a message. You couldn't find anybody else. <laughs> <laughs> he left a message for you because he knew you were coming uh, on the show. Uh, he asked, he sure asked he me did. to remind you that In-N-Out Burger is way better than Five Guys because he said Five Guys are anywhere, but In-N-Out Burger at selective locations. So he wanted to remind you, In-N-Out yeah, Burger. Yeah, well, I'm down not going to argue guys. that point. I, I like In-N-Out. I, I just, you know, I. In it, he's a West Coast guy, and it's a West Coast product, and, and uh, that between well, In and Out Burger and Pebble Beach, you know, it's hard to compete with those things. But everything else, we got the West Coast whip. <laughs> How about that? There you go. Breeder I'll pass that along. Breeder still talking. You got him on hold, and he's over there talking. He thinks he's on. <laughs> 
Oh, you're fantastic, Charlie. Thank you so much for uh, for making this a fun segment. Dwayne, you're outstanding, my friend. And, and hopefully we get the privilege of having both of you guys back on the show again soon. Talk more about what's going on at Macklemore as, as things uh, you know become available and uh, new updates and that sort of thing. And then obviously talking more about uh, the great game we love. I can't thank you guys enough for being a part of the show tonight. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate it was Chris. an absolute Thanks. pleasure and appreciate it. All right. Take care, fellas. All the best in your family. Stay safe out there. That is the great Charlie Reimer and Dwayne Horton. Folks, I'm telling you, you've got to go online to themacklemore.com and, and see for yourself what a beautiful place it is. And they've got a lot of great uh, plans, and they're going to continue to grow the resort and other golf courses. They've got a short course. It's called the Karen. That's uh, got a little six holes that uh, you can go out there with your family. It's also a great way to sort of warm up or cool down from your rounds, and uh, and the views are just spectacular. I can't I can't say it enough, and I'm not and I'm not over exaggerating the point. I hope you'll go out there and look and see for yourself. Again, when you're when you're named the 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 best 18th hole, you know, inland golf tournament uh, golf courses uh, of this century. Uh, I think that says it all, and it speaks volumes. So I hope you'll go out there and check it out. And uh, like I said, we get the opportunity to catch up uh, with both of those guys again soon. All right, folks, it is time for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the Tee. My sincere thanks go out to Tom Patrick, Michael Breed, Charlie Reimer, and Dwayne Horton for joining me tonight. Please check out our website, nextonthetee.net, to keep up to date with what our guest schedule looks like. And speaking of which, scheduled to join me next week are Scott McCarran, Randy Pice, who is the VP of Operations over at the PGA Tour Superstore, and our good friend Kenny Knox as well. You can stream this show as a podcast on a number of great sites and apps like our good friends over at podcast.co. Can't thank them enough for the help that they've given us as well as over on Podbean. We're also on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Audioboom, Player.fm, Radio.com. If you've got a, a, a favorite uh, app or location to stream your uh, favorite podcast, I'm sure we're on it. Folks, thanks again for choosing to listen to the show tonight. We appreciate the fact that you continue to make us a part of your golfing content. Until next week, hit them straight, my friend.